A man of intrigue, he lives for the thrill. Always has places to go and people to kill. Danger is the game he plays and he holds every card. Cause if you wanna win, you gotta spy hard. Hey everyone, welcome to the film room. Good afternoon. We're excited for today. Oh, this is one we've been looking forward to since we were embryonic. Yes! We were born to make this this episode right here. So we're going to be talking about our favorite director team in the whole world, Seltzer and Freeberg. This is a cast that we want to do because we want to step in and clear up some misconceptions. Because a lot of people have really negative opinions of their films without having actually seen them. And what kind of a terrible filmgoer or anybody associated with film would make fun of something that they hadn't actually seen? That's a terrible idea. So our goal with this cast is that we, we actually sat down and watched a few of their films and wow, we were really impressed. I mean, there's no getting around it. We really and truly enjoyed these films and we want to make that clear. Yeah, we went expecting them to be terrible because of all the negativity, but damn... If they don't live up to uh, the greats like Zucker, Abram, Zucker. Yeah. Yeah, these are guys who are going in the traditions of uh, the Abrams, or Zucker, Abraham, Zucker, um, John Landis, starting out with Kentucky Fried Movie, um, as recent as, I don't know though, I, I hate to bring this movie up because I really did not like it, Walk Hard from uh, Jake Kasdan and Judd uh, Apatow. Shit, Walk Hard, yeah. It was like they missed the point. There was a lot wrong with what they thought a parody movie was. Mm-hmm. And really and truly, after you watch what Seltzer and Friedberg do, you see what truly quality parody filmmaking is. Yeah, yeah. And they're, I love how they're really up on the times, you know? They, yeah. uh, they really uh, fill their films with so much... Of the moment. Mm. It's, yeah, so much so, it's, it's, it's so timeless. I don't, I don't know, know how they do it. See, again, I, I have to step in and say I don't know that it's that it's timeless so much as it's that you can watch these films and be like, wow. Especially one of the movies that we're going to watch. Wow, those moments were really like that and have an effortless understanding. I mean, yeah. their films will ultimately wind up serving the same role uh, that a film like Saturday Night Fever did in terms of capturing the culture. These guys yeah, are... Yeah. They're smart guys, and they tap into the zeitgeist, and they really get what's popular and what everybody likes, and they really capture that perfectly. They draw it in, and they have so much to say about these things. Yeah, that that aura, Back to the Future. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. Cause back, yeah, you're right. I mean, the more that I think about it, Disaster Movie really does have a lot in common with Back to the Future. Oh, it does. In terms of capturing that moment. That's... that. I hadn't thought of that, but you are right about that. Yeah, 2008, uh, just like Back to the Future's uh, 1985. I would love to see uh, them make a, a double feature of Disaster Movie 2 and 3 doing that same thing. I know, I know. Set I'm set in 2008. I'm surprised they haven't. I'm surprised they haven't. I mean, there there were so so many things. I guess they missed their moment on that. Uh, enough time yeah. has passed, and that really kind of stinks. But uh, but we can't be too sad, because we did watch um, one of their later films, um we should explain, I, I guess, the structure of this cast. 
They've made a number of films, and we didn't really have enough time to sit down and watch all of them. So we chose to hit uh, three films. We started with their first uh, film as directors. We started with, uh, that would be Date Movie. From there, we went on to a middle period film. Uh, we went with Disaster Movie, which is widely cited as the film that is the most them, them of all of their films. And having seen it, I can't disagree. I think that their touches are all over it. And then from there, we decided to catch up with their uh, latest parody film. Not their latest film, but their latest parody film. Uh, and that would be The Starving Games. So we've got three films to talk about on this cast, and it's, it's going to be a fun one. We really and truly, we put a lot of thought into this one. We really paid attention to every moment and every line in the films. Trust us. Yeah, these these are films that are they're worth study. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to tear apart in these. I'm sorry, did I say tear apart? I meant to be to say tear into. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. See, that's the problem. That's how the internet has been so pervasive that it's forced us to form our opinions to be like, you know. Honestly, mm -hmm. I want to take a moment to criticize all of the negative critics out there for just constantly harping and not allowing us to make up our own damn minds about these things. Yeah, no shit. You know, they, these are these are brilliant films. They're films that reflect a very personal touch, that, that, that reflect a very clear mindset of the uh, directors. Yes. And they also, wow, um, celebrities? They have a lot to say about our celebrity-obsessed culture, and to comment... They're on point yeah. with it. They are very on point. Yeah, they, 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 they really... They, these films feel like a nice addition to our in-touch... Uh, weekly culture, and I, I and, and I think you're right about that. I mean, that's something that has to be brought up when we discuss their films. Uh, but first, a long, laborious backstory that y'all do need to know about them. Honestly, there's really not much to say because they are uh, fairly reclusive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kubrickian in that way, I guess you could say. Yes, yes. Here's here's what you need to know. Jason Friedberg and Aaron Seltzer, their first produced credit was the 1996 film Spy Hard. I know that a lot of us probably grew up having seen that fine film. Mm -hmm. So, and I, and I realized that a lot of people might not even realize that that was them, but they got their start in yep. 1996 with that film. Yeah, they, they wrote it, didn't they? Yes, they wrote it. They wrote it. They were lucky enough to find a director to do it, a man by the name of Rick Friedberg. Mm. Yes, a man by the name of Rick Friedberg directed the film. Friedberg. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I know, that name almost sounds it almost seems like we've said that last name already on the cast, haven't we? Yeah, it seems so familiar. Yeah. Um But yeah, let's let's talk for a moment about that uh film. Um because that was a movie that, of course, I watched multiple times growing up. The Spy Hard, yes, yes, me too. Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen, who you know, he was someone who he started in the Zucker Abrahams uh Zucker style. But, I don't know. I mean, to me, I always felt like the Naked Gun movies, they started off really weak. I didn't think the first one was all mm. that funny. But, I mean, it was when you got up to, like, the the third film. I really feel like the third film is the one that most strongly influenced Friedberg and Seltzer. I see a lot of their touches in it. Yeah, that's 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 really where that series hit its stride, which is too bad that they didn't continue. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um... There were various issues, but like, I mean, if you look at the uh, third film with its gratuitous crying game joke that needed to be in there because, you know, they had to throw that in, 
the just the entire presence of Anna Nicole Smith, the vomiting into the uh, trombone, into the I think it was a trombone or a tuba, whatever. Okay, now that joke wasn't at all funny. You know the no. the gratuitous cameo by Pia Zadora. Really, if you look at the third film, that's where they got going. You know, that style of humor, I can see the influence on them. I can see where they watched that movie and they were like, yes, this is what we want to do. And I think that that's yeah. why the third film probably holds up the best of the three films. Yeah, and probably all their films, really. I mean, Top Secret wasn't really that great. No, it wasn't. No. Uh, the uh, the joke with the cow yeah. with the boots. I don't know. I mean, Using a real cow. Oh, yes. And then the whole Swedish joke, ugh. Roger Ebert was right to absolutely eviscerate that film, which he did. That film, you know. I'm ashamed to own a copy of it. Ah, oh, you poor bastard. Uh, then you had, I don't know though, I mean, I really do feel like the parody genre started to mature as the 90s went on. You know, when you had stuff like Hot Shots, um, especially the second film. Mm. And then really, as I said, about the point of the uh, third Naked Gun movie, that was where I really feel like the genre got going. I mean, yeah, you had films before like Airplane, which, I'm sorry, I don't even get a lot of the jokes in Airplane in the present day, to be honest. I just don't. Yeah, what the fuck is going on? Because I haven't seen any of the airport movies that they were trying to parody, and I didn't, so I couldn't make any sense of the jokes. No, no. Sorry. That's Jinxes. Taught him how to do that. <laughs> um, and that's that's where Leslie Nielsen got his start too. Well, his his comedic start. No, no, no. There was an there was an earlier show and the dreadfully unfunny Police Squad, which again does have to be credited I... for years later leading to the Naked Gun movies. Which again, but again, even those were non-starters until the third film. I mean. Friedberg and Seltzer, I'm sure they looked at the uh, Anna Nicole Smith presence in that film and were like, ooh, yeah. Also, there was the benefit of uh, O.J. Simpson being uh, arrested for murder that summer that turned that film into an unexpectedly topical film. Yeah, yeah, this is true. But all of this leads up to Spy Hard, which we do need to get into. Just briefly, ever, I know that we've all seen it. I know that we all know just what a landmark bit of comedy. Okay, Maybe landmark isn't the term, but it was a very successful comedy. Um, they, they took some nice gutsy moves. The casting of Andy Griffith as the villain was a that was a smart joke that didn't at all feel obvious or on the nose. No, no, having having Weird Al do the soundtrack. Yeah, I can take or leave that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he had his day. That's kind of how I feel about Weird Al. Is he's before me? Yeah, he's. Uh early 80s which is uh just year or two year or two before us but um, yeah. we didn't we don't remember the 80s so why why the fuck do we care hey 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 i i, I remember the 80s to a certain degree um uh, okay i i have to i have to be clear i do remember the 80s to a certain degree but i don't know i mean a lot of that stuff just mm -hmm. doesn't work for me so so you had spy hard and i don't know i mean to me that's one of those movies it's like uh, billy madison or most importantly, for the purposes of this discussion, Problem Child 2, it's a movie that I can still watch today, and I still find it funny. I bring up Problem Child 2 because what happened to Friedberg and Seltzer was they came to become pupils of Alexander and Karaszewski, however it's pronounced. The guys that mm -hmm. did the Problem Child movies and then moved on to doing those 
those biopics, which I have some serious issues with. Um, you know the ones I'm talking about. Man on the Moon, Ed Wood, People vs. Larry Flint. Oh, oh shit, yeah, yeah. Terrible. I have real issues with those movies because they're not factually accurate. No, no. With Man on the Moon and Ed Wood, it was almost as if they were trying to do some kind of weird thing where they were trying to capture the style of the men's work. Yeah, what the fuck was that? I mean, Ed... The whole point is Ed Wood was supposed to be a terrible director, so why parody his why parody his style? That doesn't make any sense to me. I know, and it 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 just didn't work. It was a weird decision. Here's the thing about Ed Wood and Man on the Moon. What they should have done is follow a basic. We all know the biopic formula, and you need to follow it beat for beat because that's what you're supposed to do. And they didn't do that. We need to see their childhood. We need to see who they are, we need to see their big loves, we need to see their big losses, and it needs to follow the facts. And they didn't do that. No, no. Bad move. Bad show. Bad move. But anyway, uh, they they actually stayed silent for about four years on the film scene until something wonderful happened, and they did a parody of the movie Scream. They wrote a parody yeah. of the movie Scream. And... Which I thought that was a bold move because now Scream was technically a parody of horror movies. It was a satire of horror movies. And they went out and did a parody of a parody. That had never been done before up to that point, I don't think. No, it hadn't been. And that was a bold and smart move that needed to be done. They hit right on the nose, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, so here's the thing about... uh, Now, first of all, I would argue that Scream made horror movies so much better for a long time. Because instead Mm, of focusing on, like, building scares and building tension and suspense, we needed our horror movies to become commentaries on the genre itself. We needed that degree of self-reflexiveness. So I think Scream made horror movies much better for many years. Now, I don't like Scream itself too much because, Mm -hmm. you know, it was from Wes Craven who did take it seriously to a degree. And I don't think that works, mm-hmm. but I mean, I think the other horror directors that came after, they got it right, you know? They understood that what you need to do is to make it so that the audience can't really get invested. It also really led to the playing up of the asshole victim, which I love that in horror movies. Yeah. That's what you need. Oh yeah, absolutely, because then, um, then you don't you don't care if they die, and you just kind of cheer, you just kind of cheer that they die, and... Uh, and that's great. I want to be able to enjoy my uh, human misery, you know? Just that much more. Just that much more. Emotional investment sucks. Yeah, Jesus. So, anyway, what happened with Scary Movie, which was the film that wound up ha- being made, was that the Wayans brothers were trying to do their own parody, and they decided to buy up Friedberg and Seltzer's script. They didn't wind up using any of it for the finished film, but they wound up getting a writing credit on it anyway because, you know, studio politics and shit. And that made them. Five years later. Yeah. It was six years later. Yeah, they moved it 2006. Yes, it took them six years later to capitalize in on that. Now, from what I understand, during that time they were trying to do things like work on a script on the uh, Liberace's life, which... After seeing these films, I wish they had gotten made, because clearly they have the sensitivity to handle this material. 
Yeah, yeah. They they would have handled the homosexual stuff really well, yeah. too. Um, uh, sadly, the one that wound up getting made was from Steven Soderbergh and uh, Richard Legrevenes, who mm. are... I don't know. They're, they're guys who... You just look at their filmography and you don't see how they could have possibly handled it. I'm never going to bother with uh, Behind the Candelabra. I just... I don't have any interest. Mm. From what I've heard about it, it doesn't sound very good, so... No, no. Soderbergh made that Magic Mike film, didn't he? He did. Now, hey, 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 I liked that film, but that was only really because of the dancing. Yeah, you did? That was only really because of the dancing. There wasn't a script or anything else there that I could have enjoyed. No subtext or anything. No, none of that shit. I mean, Jesus. No. But, um, while, you know, while we're on uh, the uh, their mentors, who, again, I don't really care about their names, I mentioned Problem Child 2. Have you seen it? I remember bits of it from childhood. Uh, I don't remember that much. You can see the influence on these guys big time in that movie especially. Mm. I, I point to Problem Child 2 because that's just the one that stands out the most for me. But I mean, you could see their influence big time. They had a lot of influence from that movie that they took. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the uh, jokes that you would go on to see in their later films... You know, in Seltzer and Friedberg's films, you could see that in that film. Uh, a lot of vomiting and feces humor. I am Beowulf. Um, can you put some clothes on? I am Beowulf. I fought the monster Grendel with no armor. You fight naked? It's kind of gay, bro. It's not, it's not gay. It's... No, I'm sorry. That, that's gay. No, ask anybody. All right, I will. I'll ask my friend Paul. We're going boating tomorrow. I'll ask him. My friend Paul. He's my friend. We're also partners. Life partner? No, business partners. We opened an antique shop together. That's gay. Why is that gay? Why are antiques gay? Because I like old things that are kitschy. Oh, Beowulf! Which, you know, that really is clever wow. stuff. Uh, Monty Python, after all, pulled off a lengthy uh, vomit joke, so... Oh yeah, they totally did. Although I don't know the the Waffer theme means <sighs> I could watch that scene over and over. Yeah, that's that's that was the height of Monty Python. Nothing else they ever did came close, before or after. But I mean, honestly, we've been getting off track, and it should be noted that we're coming to that point where we need to start discussing date movie. Date movie. <laughs> Why don't you tell us the plot of Date Movie? Uh, the plot of Date Movie. Willow from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and as Lear pointed out to me, Lily from How I Met Your Mother, as the lead role as, I forget her name. It was Julia Jones, I believe. Julia Jones, yes. Who desperately wants to find a man. She does anything she can to do it. Oh, I should also mention that uh, she is fat. Mm -hmm. She is a fat woman. And there's a very realistic fat suit that they put on her. It looks very plausible. Mm, yes, yes, it does. Um, it's probably one of the best fat suits I've ever seen in movies. They didn't actually get an Oscar nomination for makeup for that. Yeah, why didn't they? I don't know. I mean, Norbit got one, so I mean, that's that's good. Yep. But, um, I don't know. I don't think it was for that, which, big mistake. I, 
I think they probably did vicariously for that, that, you know, there is no Oscar for best fat suit, so, you know, they did what they could. Actually, to, to be fair, uh, The Nutty Professor did, I believe they won the Oscar for uh, makeup, but I don't know. Or I did really... they? Yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. I, the, 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 the fat suit here looked wonderful, which is really saying something, because uh, Hannigan actually has very angular features. They did a good job yes. of, you know, working around that. Yeah, kind of, kind of rounding her out. Wow, that's that opening scene where they just, they just play with the concept of the fat suit and, you know, the scene where she jiggles a lot and then her breasts go to her back. That was clever. I mean, that's as as a fat person, I could tell you that's exactly how fat works. Mm -hmm. uh, if you, if you jiggle hard enough and. Uh, uh, kudos, guys. Kudos. I, I honestly touched, uh, detected a touch of Chuck Jones there in terms of trying to play with anatomy. Like I, th I think that was an homage ah, to yes. uh, Duck Amuck, the yes. famous oh, God, fourth yeah. wall breaking uh, Daffy Duck cartoon. Mm -hmm. So yes, it, it opens, and of course the film opens with. Well, actually, it opens with a reference to Napoleon Dynamite that was really a. Oh, it does. It was a well done reference. They really captured the offbeat tone of that film the uh way that that film tried to depict an odd subculture the fact that he says gosh a lot yeah wow you seem tense when was the last time you and frank were intimate it's been a while well i could show you a few tricks spice things up again like a dirty sanchez oh i don't know or the arabian <laughs> goggles or what about a troll's foot where you don't clip your toenails for eight weeks and then you jab it up his ass. Whew. I mean, I wouldn't have caught that. I mean, geez. No, I didn't think of that while I was watching that film. I was too mm. distracted by, like, the way that Napoleon Dynamite depicted this very strange, idiosyncratic world that was weird and unique in and of itself. Yeah, I mean... I didn't pay attention to the whole gosh thing. No, no. Like, it's, uh... It's uh, kind of like Juno does, but, you know, we'll get back to Juno. Oh, yes, we um, have a lot to say about Juno. Yes, yes. Um, but, yeah, and his shirt, uh, don't vote for Pedro. Nice reversal. I mean... Yeah. And then the film segues into the uh, use of the uh, song Milkshake, which... Yeah. I love that song. I've got that on several CDs. Play it a lot. Hmm. Yes, I've got I've got a whole CD full of nothing but that song. I just love it so much. Oh come on, man! You've got <laughs> you've also got to throw in a little Miss New Booty here and there. So yeah, that's just it. This movie is filled with a lot of rap music, um, which it's good rap music too. Um, there's no Kanye West to be heard at all. There, uh, what's that song that was in it? Uh, uh, it was in every movie of that year. Oh, yes, yes, it was Don't You Wish Your Girlfriend Was Hot Like Me. Yeah, God, I, I love the Pussycat Dolls. They really managed to elevate uh, an ELO sample with uh, Beep. Mm. When I hear that, whenever I hear Evil Woman come on the radio, I always get angry because it's like, why isn't this Beep? Yes. Oh. God, we could use more of that uh, these days. I mean, they yeah. are, that group sadly has disbanded and oh. woe to live on. Um. But yeah, getting back to the plot, yeah, Julia Jones, a very clever, a very clever twist on Bridget Jones. Mm -hmm. She has a journal that she keeps, which shows up at the beginning and end. Not really much in the middle, which is okay because you know the diary had absolutely nothing to do with that movie anyway. No, it really didn't. Mm. Uh, or much less the original book, which 
I think it was like maybe mm. brought up once or twice in the original book. I don't know. I didn't read the thing. Yeah, who needs reading? Reading is for chumps. But, but, out of desperation, she goes to Hitch, a very uh, clever parody of the movie Hitch. And uh, she opens the door and, surprise, he's a midget. Yes, he's played by uh, Tony Cox, who really, here, he, he redeems himself for having been in uh, Bad Santa. Yeah. He, he manages to put that behind him and, you know, move past that. I'll... But yeah, so yes, the, see, it's surprising because he's a uh, a little person. That's the uh, that's the twist is that he's a midget. That's insanely brilliant twist because I can't explain it. But when I'm with you, I just feel so alive. Just want to scream and shout and we're all drunks. Huh? So yeah, she goes into Hitch's office and, you know, uh, he tries to give her, like, a kiss test to see how she would do in that kind of situation, and uh, she slops all over him. Uh. Which, you know, that's how a real person would do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. nice nice capturing that. Yeah. Felt like a scene from mine and Amanda's lives. Yeah, I mean that's that's how my first kiss went. I mean, I pfft, intuition tells you to do that, but you know, but we soon learn. So yeah, he he takes her to to try to give her a makeover uh, so she can go on a show called The Bachelor: Desperate Edition, which I assume I don't know if Desperate Housewives was a thing. Then I forget how far back. All I know is that The Bachelor certainly is, and they really captured that show. Yeah, it was about that time too. Yeah, yeah, because they may reference it, uh, Arrested Development, a show which I did not watch all the way through. I mean, I don't know what they were trying to do, yeah, but yeah. they uh, they pimp her out. You know, they, they, they uh, to get her ready for the show, they uh, put her through a pimp my ride parody. Yeah, they take her to a chop shop. I wasn't expecting that. Wow. By the way, I vastly preferred this parody of pimp my ride to the one that uh, the Boondocks did. I thought they did a better job of making fun of that show here. Yeah, I mean, the Boondocks actually got exhibit. I mean, why would you do that for a parody? Yeah. Wow. They only they only opted to, to uh, pay for one actual person to pee themselves, but we'll get to that scene in a moment. Yes, yes. Yeah, they take her to a chop shop, and they, they drain her out. They give her a liposuction into a jar of mayonnaise. That's funny, because that's what mayonnaise is like. <laughs> exactly. And, um, being a fat person, I know that that is what we are indeed full of. Nobody knows this, but, you know, medical facts, y'all, this is all mayonnaise. And it's really shocking when they reveal her, because the fat suit was so good that I'd forgotten what the actress really looked like. You know, having seen, um, every episode of How I Met Your Mother that's been released to date, uh, note, when this cast will be released the day after the, uh, final episode has aired so oh yeah yeah there, this cast uh for, for those you should be listening to this on april 1st that's the day this cast is being released yes yes <laughs> having watched every episode of how i met your mother all of the american pie films and pretty much all of buffy 
I, w I will pause to note that Hannigan is much better here than she was in any of those. She's kind of unendurable in those. Uh, her timing in this is so much better than it was in those because, I don't know, she's so flat and dull in the other things. And here she really gets to yeah. sparkle, shine. Because, you know, after all, the tone of a person's voice, because she has kind of that uh, lower register voice, and we all know that that indicates your quality as an actor. And so here she's able to do a little bit more with it and get it upper, you know, get it in some upper registers. And that means that she's better here than she is in those things. Her timing is better here. Yeah, I mean, Jesus. I don't know why she hasn't been doing films like this. I don't know. She's been wasted. Her entire career, she's I mean. She's been wasted. Yeah, jeez. But it's really shocking when you see her unveiled, finally. Cause it's like, wow, I've forgotten what she really looked like. They transformed her. Mm-hmm. They go on to the Bachelor show, and uh, it's a guy that looks like Topher Grace, but he's British. Which, although shame on them, the actor actually was British. That wasn't funny. Mm, yes, yes. So they go on, and... They make a joke that he has a huge cock. And up, oh, he pulls up a chicken. Oh, man, that's a new joke. I've never seen that joke pulled before. I've never I, heard that. I know, I thought that was really original. And so... I mean, cock? Cock? I know. I never, I never it's wordplay. drew that. It's wow. wordplay. Wordplay. Uh, mm -hmm. By the way, um, this leads into the rose ceremony, which is just him blasting the women away with, shot, with a shotgun. That's... Yeah. Yeah. That happens. I don't even really feel like commenting on it. That just happens. And yeah, that leads to their date, which I thought was a really cute date. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they work in a reference to uh, the film When Harry Met Sally. Um, which again, time which, that's, mm -hmm. that's a timely joke. You're right. Yes, yes. Uh, and a nice play on it. You know, he, he fakes an orgasm. That lasts about a minute and a half, which, when Harry Met Sally did not take that uh, far enough when no, they, they did that. No, they didn't. So they, they, they just extend the joke to what would have been funny in that film. Also, it was better because they cut out all the context that that movie had. Yeah, yeah, they just cut to the restaurant scene, and, well, he's doing it. Yeah. And, uh, whatever that implies, but, um, and she's just sitting there waiting, and everyone's staring at him and uh, when he's done when he finally makes his big finish uh, she says I'll have what he's having yeah cause that's the line from the movie yeah wow way to accentuate a joke to where it's actually funny yeah I know I know I, I really enjoyed that um, and then of course you've got the great scene of uh, them beating up the homeless guy because I don't, hmm. I don't know about you I love random cruelty jokes random cruelty jokes are awesome yeah I mean and he just joins in without hesitation uh, because, you know, whimsical. It's so whimsical. Now, it, of course, eventually he proposes to her, but there's a problem, and that's in the form of her family. Mm. Her... Yes. See, there's a big joke in this movie that she's obviously a white, white girl, and mm -hmm. her father is played by Eddie Griffin, and so he's black, and it's funny that he's black, and her mother is an Indian woman. And it's funny that she's her, Indian. Her sister is Korean, or am I Japanese? Did I get she, that right? She's Japanese. Japanese. No, yes. you did not get that right at all. Um, it, and 
you know, and it's funny because she's like uh, one of those cute little, you know, those Japanese girls that you see in every movie. Ugh. Mm. I mean, this movie really beats Lost in Translation for understanding the Japanese culture. And yeah, and the father wants her to marry a guy that works at the uh, place that's played by uh, Judah Friedlander, who was in... Uh, God, did you ever sit through American Splendor? No. Don't. Don't do it. Don't no. do it. It's it's hmm. uh, it's it's well it's really not worth your time. He played a uh, guy in it by the name of uh, Toby Radloff, uh, who was a very unique individual, and I don't recommend you sit through it. It's it's just not worth your time. Yeah, and uh, they they also own a Greek restaurant because mm-hmm. they are also Greek. Yeah, because that's a reference to my big fat Greek wedding. Yes. Oh. A film which I quote to this day. I know, I know, it's really stood the test of time. Mm. So, eventually this of course leads to a Meet the Parents uh, inspired sequence. Yes, and they even they even lead it in cleverly with, Hey, I'd like you to meet my parents. I wouldn't have known what was coming, no, I, I mean, jeez. I, I wouldn't have either, because I, while I really loved the second and third films, I wouldn't have gotten much to the first one. I don't really remember it at all, no. to be honest. But this leads to to us meeting his uh, parents, uh, who are played by Fred Willard and Jennifer Coolidge, who were both in two movies that, if you have the chance to see them, run far away. Best in Show and uh, A Mighty Wind, please don't watch those. They're not worth your time. Um, these were no. from Christopher no. Guest. They're not at all worth your time. They're They're very lame movies. Willard was actually Willard's actually been in almost all of Guest's movies, including the. Ugh, have you ever seen this? Is Spinal Tap? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Shit. I'm sorry, man. God, it's it's unendurable. Can you believe that the DVD has two hours of extra footage? Jesus. Really, for that? Yeah, for that damn movie. And like, uh, they even God. try to drag out the joke by having the band, who are not who is not a real band, by the way, deliver a commentary track. Just don't watch it. Don't watch it. It's not worth your time. And so the whole joke is that they're supposed to be uh, Ben Stiller's parents from Meet the Parents. See, that's a subtle inversion of the joke there. Mm-hmm. So they're supposed to be Ben Stiller's parents from Meet the Fockers, and his last name, we learn, is Fuck Your Daughter. Fuck Your Daughter. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, wow. Welcome to the Extreme Bachelor Desperate Edition. Now, Grant, the elimination round. Essentially nixing the girls you don't want to bang. And what I love about this sequence is that they top the original jokes. Like, yeah. the joke about the cat using the litter box in the toilet. No, now it's the cat shitting its brains out for two and a half minutes. Yes, I counted. That's longer than Blur's song two. Yes, yeah, two and a half minutes. He, uh, he does. Wow, I, they work. I don't know if those farts sounds were stock or if they actually made them on set or off. I don't know. Maybe one of them. Maybe those are the fart sounds of the actual directors. I don't know, but that that'd be brilliant. Um, but yeah, and he he lights a match afterwards, you know, because cats can't light matches. I know. And uh, I've tried to make Bindi do it. It that she's burned her fur many times. <laughs> Aw, poor kitty, poor kitty. But then, uh, then that very next scene, they're at dinner, 
and uh, I don't know how much of Meet the Parents you actually got through, but... Again, not much. Yeah, but you remember the dinner scene where they knock over the uh, uh, Robert De Niro's grandma's ashes. That scene, yeah. I hated that scene because it was too awkward. It was like, it was too yeah. uncomfortable. They spent like all this time trying to build the jokes and trying to set an atmosphere and a mood. Ugh. <sighs> I know. Who has time for that? I, I, don't. I, I, I came to laugh. I didn't come to think. I mean, no. Jesus. I didn't come to like have an atmosphere set or something. But, yeah, and the original quote-unquote joke in that film was that the cat uses the ashes as a layer box because that's... That's what cats do. That's what cats do. It's like, well, why, why bother doing that uh, when you can have a cat fuck a corpse? <laughs> Necrophilia is hilarious. No, <laughs> yes. necrobe necrobestiality, actually. Oh, yes, it's true, it's true, because it is a uh, interspecies... And I, I especially love that nice touch at the end where, uh, while they're yelling at him, the cat unrolls a whole roll of condoms. That was funny. It looks known at the camera. That was, oh, that was great. That was classy. Why can't we have more jokes like that? Culture. It's the culture. Hey. Yeah, yeah, I guess I so. always blame the culture. Then, of course, there's several other beats that they have to check off. Like, they have to check off the beat of they go see a wedding planner, because... You know, The Wedding Planner, which, God, I know you must watch as often as I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they have a very fine penis joke in that. Yeah. They, they, they continue the, uh, they decide to uh, go visit a wedding planner, and that brings us to a bunch of Jennifer Lopez jokes, which, oh, yeah, man, those are still funny. Yeah, yeah. Jennifer Lopez has a, um, a nice rounded ass, mm -hmm. and, well, they make it rounder. Then in this movie, they decide that you know what this that what a, what jokes about her really need racism. Yeah. So she suggests that they uh, have their wedding at a restaurant called Taco Butt. That's actually mm -hmm. the name of the restaurant. I'm not making that up. Taco Butt. Taco Butt. That's funny, man. I mean, you see, because Taco <laughs> Bell is called Taco Bell. Taco Bell, yes. But she's got that. a big ass, so it's called Taco Butt. Because, you know, in the real world, you know, the a person with a big ass would suggest a restaurant like that. Yeah, that's um, that's, so that's that's how it works. People with big asses. That's good comedy note. Yeah, they really think this through. Mm -hmm. And then out of nowhere, she starts dancing and everybody seems disgusted by her ass. Because that's how it worked in the real world, right? That everybody hated her ass and was mocking her mm -hmm. and it didn't do anything for them. Mm -hmm. No, that's... Okay, I'm just making sure. I mean, I'm trying to remember. She hasn't been relevant in so long. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ever since she... Ever since she left uh, Ben Affleck. Or... I I forgot how that worked. Honestly, you are... Honestly, you're actually right on the timing on that, yeah. Mm, yes. Ugh. But, yeah, I mean... She, we get the inevitable joke where we meet his ex-girlfriend... You know, like how oh, yes. there was the jokes about the ex-boyfriend in uh, Meet the Parents. Here we get to meet uh, yes. his ex-boyfriend. Well, I mean, they actually do reveal that he had a homosexual affair at one point, which was funny because I loved how the guy acted like a complete racist, homophobic stereotype of a uh, gay la mm -hmm. Latino and actually reminded me of a joke on Friends that they just out-and-out out stole, let's face it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, how dare they? But I mean, so, you know, and, and so I love the twist that, okay, in Meet the Parents, 
the uh, Owen Wilson character is a genuinely good guy who's supposed to be like a really nice guy. Mm -hmm. And in this one, the um, ex-girlfriend is just a really terrible person and only exists, only shows up in the film really to show off her TNA. Which, because it's a PG-13 movie, they can't show, but they can certainly do a lot of bikini shots and all. Oh, yeah. And they, they have her, while they're introducing her, uh, uh, they give, they're giving all her credentials. Yeah, one of the things they do when she walks up is, well, they have her eat a burger. And, um, wow, that's, that's from a Hardee's commercial, I do believe. Mm -hmm. And that makes me mad, because then Joseph Gordon-Levitt went and stole that joke from Date Movie. For uh, Don John. Ah, uh, ah, uh, I know. Yeah. Come on. Why did you steal from this? This just tops that joke. I mean, you can't, you can't top something that's already been topped. So yeah, I mean that joke was stolen for Don John, which I don't recommend to anybody because that movie. How dare he? That movie is irritating because it takes its time to like. I don't know, it's filled with all this social commentary, and I really wanted more of the jokes about Jim Tan Laundry. Which, there are yes, some in yes. there, but there's not enough for my money. No. Just, just, yeah, the social commentary on how uh, movies aren't an accurate portrayal of real life, and same with porn. Are you kidding? Of uh, course they are. That's, that's really, that was... That's what movies do. He was really being too arrogant and out of his league there. Go back to uh, Third yes. Rock on, from the Sun, boy. <laughs> But anyway, you've got this this great character, and what I love is that she only shows up to present a negative portrayal of women. That's all she does. Yeah, absolutely. That's funny to me. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice play on... Um... Yeah, gender-bending that role was a, uh, was a nice touch. It was a nice touch. And they did a good job with it. Yes, yes. And they go into the song, uh, which is a parody of My Best Friend's Wedding. Oh, man, I still love that movie. The moment I saw you Before I proposed to you We said a little prayer for you While combing my hair now You're wondering what's under my dress now we said a little prayer for you. That's 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 one of the best Julia Roberts movies of all time, hands down. Yeah, absolutely. Better than whatever the hell she was trying to do with Closer. Yeah, or you know, Aaron Brockovich. See, why didn't they have any jokes about that in this movie? I missed those jokes. Yeah. Ugh. But anyway, getting back to this peach, a uh, great movie. Th th this. You're right, there's that great musical number, which is funny, and which is full of good, mm -hmm. clever jokes. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there's the inevitable breakup. Yeah, they have to break up because um, uh, because the uh, Willow character from Buffy... Uh, er, no, no, shit. Ju Ju Julia Jones? You know what, they're both, they're all the same people, they're all interchangeable. It's the same actress, go yeah. with whatever you're thinking. That's true, that's true. Um, but yeah, that character uh, sees the Topher Grace lookalike kiss her, you know, because she, she, she tricks him. Which makes sense, because in, in the real world, that's how it works, you know? Yeah, and she just, she runs off. 
to to leave him. Goes to, goes back to the diner. Goes to uh, eventually she winds up deciding to marry uh, the guy that her dad wants her to marry. But at the last minute, there's a magazine article that's brought to her attention, and I loved this joke. Yes, because it kept going. Yeah. The joke is that she's confused about where to go, and so she keeps going, and they keep going with it. And that's the thing that I really love about these guys, is they really know how to play a joke. Yeah, they take the uh, Seth MacFarlane principle, yeah. and they take it further. Mm-hmm. Because I, I don't really like the joke about the knee, because to me, that joke, I don't know, it just goes on to a certain point. I really hate the chicken fights. I hate the chicken fights. Ah, I know, those are aggravating. Ah, picture that like 20 more times. Yeah. See, I didn't like that joke because it didn't work. And I, I, again, I really hate the chicken fights because those keep escalating and escalating and escalating. It's like, where's the joke? Yes, yes. And with this, uh, it's, uh, they just keep going. And wow, it's funny because they... <laughs> So yeah, and and the magazine reacts back to her talking about uh, her confusion, which is hilarious because magazines don't do that. She learns that wow, he's uh, probably still waiting on there up on that roof uh, six months later, because yeah, because he would do that. But his watch is telling him to finally give up after six months. Yes. So it's a race against time for them to get together. This is a joke, people. Yes, that is indeed the joke. And she goes up on the roof, and he's taking the elevator down, and they manage to fit in a little sequence where he dances to the Muzak. Oh, I do that. Having a good time, even though his heart was just broken. So uh, she goes up to the roof, and then, like the clumsy person that she is, that they've set her up to be, she falls off the roof. Ha! Yeah. I mean, I'm... Clumsy to a degree, and that's almost happened to me a couple times, yeah. you know? So, and, I, and I love that clumsiness is a common flaw that they give women in these movies. Because that... Yeah. Uh, unlike Bridesmaids, where they, like, spend all this time establishing the character's personality issues that needed to be dealt with and overcome... It's okay, just make her clumsy. That that works. Works yeah. great. It totally works. I mean, it's, it's, a, way to, it's a way to shorthand mm-hmm. uh, women characters. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's a pip. Um, and so he, she falls off the roof and he catches her uh, without expecting her to be falling from the roof. And, uh, well, they get back together and uh, credits roll that's the end of the movie. Oh, yeah, and bloopers. Oh, and there's bloopers. also that sequence in uh, where they go on a honeymoon to Kong Island that didn't at all feel like a last-minute reshoot to shoehorn the no. joke in and also to get Carmen Electra in the movie. Because, you know, we really needed Carmen yes. Electra in this movie. Yes. And in a joke where uh, it's a lead up to presumably she fucks the monkey afterward. I think that was the joke, yes. And, of course, naturally, they have gratuitous shots of her uh, body because, you know, that, that that doesn't at all get tiresome, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to have Carmen Electra in your film, you know, I guess you better do that. And, of course, the, the big reason that they made sure to get this shot in was so that it could show up in the trailer, even though it's just... 30 seconds shoehorned in at the end of the movie. That's really good filmmaking right there. Yeah, that's that's good marketing more than anything, yeah. because, you know, uh, the, the way, well, I suppose they weren't, uh, this was their first film, so their reputation hadn't spread no. yet. But, you know, especially now, 
doing that helps them helps them sell their movie. Yeah, definitely. It, it was a good move, and it was a good smart move that really paid off. So that's the movie, and I just want to say I really, what I really love about this movie is that it set up some themes that would run through the rest of their films, namely. Yeah, like the Michael Jackson joke. Yes, there's a Michael Jackson joke in the film. Which showed up in two of the three films that we saw. Yeah. Uh, he tries to lure a child with a small stuffed animal. See, that's funny because at the, because that was around the time where Michael Jackson had faced actual charges for having done something like that. And that's mm-hmm. funny. I mean, that's really very funny to make fun of somebody for the crime of child molestation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that never gets old. No, it really doesn't. And I, what I really liked is the fact that they are really continual on their theme of if you're not just straight out white and male, then they want to make sure that you know that this that their films are what's the word uh, not for you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. Uh, if you're gay, boy, they, they 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 fit in multiple references to homosexuality in this film, and they're they're always. What's the word? Um, well, they're not mm. pleasant. They're not positive. There's jokes about men in drag. There's jokes about having had gay affairs in the past. There's a scene early mm-hmm. on where it's funny that a guy is running towards another man. I mean, these are jokes that in 20 years will not at all look as uncomfortable as, say, a blackface joke. Yeah, absolutely not. I also really liked the way that these guys are... This movie also sets up a very clear theme that runs through their movies, which is they, 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 they're of the virgin prostitute theory, which is the women in their movies, either they're good, pure, basic women, or they exist as sex objects, and or they're oddities. There is always the third category of oddities, because they really like their oddities. And I enjoy that. That makes comedy funny to see your women portrayed that way. That's that's a good joke. Yeah. <clears throat> so that brings... I, I honestly, with that movie... And another thing I really liked about this movie was the brevity of it. The movie runs a uh, brisk 75 minutes or so before credits. Yes. Why can't we have more short movies like I know, that? I know, I know. Some guy once said brevity is wits. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, granted, the guy who said that was kind of a hack, but I mean, maybe he was onto something. He stole other people's stories. <sighs> yeah. It's the worst. But we, we now have to jump over two films in their filmography because we didn't have the time to see them. Sorry, I'm a busy, right, right. I'm a busy man. We would have seen them all if we could. We're going to double back and see them all, of course. Um, well, of course. Uh, they had a big hit with Date Movie, and then they continued that with um, Epic Movie, which was a uh, parody of such timeless films as The Da Vinci Code, Charlie Chocolate Factory, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and uh, Snakes on a Plane. I mean, those are jokes yes. that are timeless. Those, you know, and largely The Chronicles of Narnia, which actually probably is pretty timeless. But, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, they can't yeah. get them all right. Right. So, basically, I mean, admittedly, a better name for that movie would have been 2006 movie, but, you know. 
I'm not the one who's... Yeah, yeah. And um, Coolidge and uh, Willard came back for that one. And then you get Meet the Spartans, which was a parody of 300. And Meet the Parents. And Meet the Parents, which I did not bother watching that one because I just didn't have the time. And because 300's outdated. I mean, can you imagine if they tried to release a sequel to 300 right now? God, I can't, I can't even. I'm sure it would have flopped at the box office. Yeah. I'm sure it would have tanked. I mean, come on. Attention spans, people. But, um, Meet the Spartans came out. Uh, and that quickly brings us to the film we really knew that we needed to touch on, because this is agreed by all to be their magnum opus. And I'm sorry, a lot of you are wrong. Disaster movie is hilarious. Oh, yes. film opens after all with a reference to 10,000 BC with with 10,001 BC mm-hmm see that's clever because they took a joke and they added a one to it yes it's almost like it's almost like like it's so seamlessly could have been in continuity with that film too yeah. because that was 10,000 BC this was the year after yeah and although this movie actually came out the same year as 10,000 BC Yes, yes. As indeed did most of the movies that they made fun of. This movie was released in August of 2008 and is a parody of the big movies of 2008. Which, I, I don't know why they bothered to do that. Summer 2008 was terrible, so... Yeah, it was... It, that was a bad year for movies. It was a bad I'm year for movies. Lie. You got The Dark Knight, you got Kung Fu Panda, uh, you got... Juno was the year before. Yeah, December, but... so it still counts. It was the last 12 months, essentially. Um, Alvin and the Chipmunks, Sex and the City. You had you had uh, Iron Man, Hancock. Oh, man, I remember Hancock. I loved Hancock. That was a movie Yeah. That, here's the thing about Hancock. It's really hard to watch for the first half, and then in one moment, it suddenly becomes awesome. Yeah, the twists. Once the twist hits, which, by the way, the, t because they knew that the twist was where it got better, they add, they put the twist on the DVD box. Yes. I, that And that it needed that shot in the arm for the sales because, you know, otherwise nobody would have seen it if... Nobody would have seen uh, it if they... It was just about... If it was just about a homeless superhero, I mean, fuck that. No. No, they had to jump forward and do something special with it. And so they had to make mm -hmm. the second half a completely different and better movie. Because who wanted to see the movie that they paid to see? Indiana Jones? Indiana, my ass! It was like a double feature, really. But anyway, we get off track. Um, the Again, the movie opens with the 10,000 BC parody. And we get an Amy Winehouse joke. And those jokes are timeless! Timeless, yes. Even though she died of the issues that they make fun of in this movie. She may have died, but, you know, her spirit lives on or something like that. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they even they even make the point that, um, she drink, that she drank gasoline for her voice because, I mean, she was, a talent, she was a terrible singer after all. And, you know, so let's make sure to underline that fact because it wasn't as if she was actually well known for having 
genuine talent, you know. That wasn't why she came to be known for anything. Oh, yeah, no, no. No, 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 no. She was, she was funny. It was fun to make fun of her. And the actress that played her mm-hmm. did such a spot-on British accent, too. Oh, yes. But it, oh, yes. Uh, something like that. Yeah. But anyway, the movie opens... We should be clear, by the way, the first joke in the movie is a guy falls into some shit. Yeah, they got their, they got their shit joke. Like, right off. I mean, bam, they just throw us right into uh, the goodness that's to come. Yeah, because, I mean, look, I'm 30 years old. I still find shit jokes hilarious. I still find them... <laughs> I, they're really great. Yes. Pixar has uh, kind of ruined the shit joke a little for me, but... Um, oh, no. But, yeah, they I do still find the occasional chuckle from them. So that whole sequence is a prophecy in which he's told that the world is going to end on August 29th. And I thought this was mm. a lame idea because the movie actually opened on August 29th. So it's almost as if they were oh, trying wow. to make a joke or something. I know most people would have saw it on that day, so, you know, they, yeah. they'll be like, oh my god, that's today, wow, Jesus. Mm. Yeah, and um, the first thing the main character says when he wakes up uh, is, man, I shouldn't have taken so much Ambien. Which, keeping in mind that this movie came out the same year as Heath Ledger died from an overdose of Ambien, I'm guessing that wasn't mm-hmm. a coincidence, and I'm sure that, that was a reference to the death of Ledger, a um, supremely talented actor who was taken from us too soon because of a uh, an overdose of a sleeping pill. Yeah, that was funny, you guys. I'm glad that you guys brought up that joke. I'm glad that you guys saw fit to make a joke that was clearly not coincidental aimed at a man's death. Tasteful! So, yeah, good for you guys because, you know, Ledger, Ledger would only go on to win an Oscar within uh, 12 months of this movie's release for his last performance, mm-hmm. you know? So, but you know what? The Oscar wasn't near the honor that getting his death referenced in this movie was. Also, the movie opened on the third anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. Oh, wow, wow. Timely. Yeah, which is fine, because I'm glad that the movie wasn't, like, shot in Louisiana or something, so that that couldn't have been kind of icky. You know, releasing a movie shot in Louisiana called Disaster Movie on the third anniversary might have been a little uncomfortable, but, you know. It worked for them. I'm sure nobody noticed that. I'm sure nobody noticed. No, no. 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 supposed to be quite difficult but I find it easy in fact rather fun that was better than sex with a camel should mention the first I don't know third half I'm gonna say half is uh, a party and at this party they have uh, so many memorable characters show up uh, Angelina Jolie's character from wanted Mm-hmm. Ah, oh, I remember Wanted. Yes. The Curve the Bullet thing. Um, mm. And Superbad. Uh, the guys from Superbad try to steal the beer, and the guy does a spot-on impression of uh, McLovin from that film. Yeah, because, I mean, that was all that he said. Was He only gave his name. There wasn't, like, any attempt yeah, to yes. build the character to actually give him dialogue or anything like that. It wasn't much of a script by uh, Rogan and Goldberg. Yeah. They actually, believe it or not, released a printed copy of it. And I'm sure that some dumbass out there bought it. But I'm sorry for you if you did. 
but I don't know who would. I don't know why would you want to own that. You know, what comedy writer would want to study that screenplay as an example of, of comedy screenwriting? I don't know. By the way, have I mentioned I'm a screenwriter by hobby? <laughs> yes, I think you may have mentioned that a couple times. So yeah, the, the opening scene, and these scenes are trying to parody Cloverfield, which is fitting because this movie clocks in at about the same length as Cloverfield. Yeah, yeah, an, an hour ten with about uh, ten minutes worth of credits, which is something, by the way, that all these films have in common. Mm-hmm. They each have about ten minutes worth of credits. I, and I, I like the fact that in contrast to Cloverfield, which used that brief running time to cut out all of the fat and be like a really tight, lean monster movie... This one does the opposite, and I really enjoyed that. But we'll get to that later. Yeah. So yeah, you've got such characters as the kids from Superbad, and then you've got, because one Michael Sarah parody wasn't enough, you've got Juno, except that here they can't change her name to Junie. Oh, God. That's that's wonderful. That's that's a... Uh... That's an original. And there's a joke about her uh, selling her baby to Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, because those two really... They deserve to be mocked for their adoptions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, giving all these kids homes, I mean, why would anybody do that? Apparently, from what I've read, they're apparently really good parents. They really love their kids and seem to be have, like, a really wonderful family, and their lives seem awesome. Um, they're both doing no. great in their lives, and I, you know... We don't want our celebrities like that. We want our celebrities drugged out and... Um... They're, they're, they're our entertainment. Yeah, that's, that's why we get are. that's why we get a Jessica Simpson joke in this scene. In this scene, yes. The movie eventually leads to a giant High School Musical parody because you know High School Musical that's still a thing, right? Yes, yes. Uh, up until four, or excuse me, three. Oh, actually, you're te- uh, you're accidentally right. They did a spinoff of one of the characters, so there are technically four oh, movies. Today. Ha. Um, I recommend, by the way, the. Todd in the Shadows slash Matthew Buck actually Todd in the Shadows this time, not yeah, not uh, misremembering it from uh, uh, Jeff Otaku, but they did a uh, review of Sunday School Musical, yeah. the much the much better parody. Mm-hmm. So I recommend seeing that. Yes, but I do too. Anyway, what I love about this movie is how freeform it is. They just want to bring up these things and point out that they existed and. The thin plot is that this guy has commitment issues and can't commit to his girlfriend, and then uh, the apocalypse starts to happen, and he has to try to get to her to save the day and find a crystal skull or something. I, this movie is as yes. interested in its plot as I am, so. Yep, and uh, I really like the way that they uh, shoehorn in the plot. Mm-hmm. It should be an afterthought. Uh, the main guy is played, by the way, by Matt Lanter, who had an amazing August of 2008. He was also Anakin Skywalker in uh, the Clone Wars movie. And TV show, oh, too. Oh, wow. I've heard the TV show has never once lived up to the promise of the movie, so... I don't know. Yeah, the, the Clone Wars movie. Yeah, I heard that it never got as good as that again. Ugh, damn. Yeah, in the Star Wars community, it's pretty mocked. But anyway, getting back to the movie. So yeah, Lanter had a really good year. and um, He has friends. One of them is played by some guy. I don't know. I didn't. But the other one is played by Kim Kardashian. Yes. Yes. The wonderful and talented 
I'm Kim Kardashian. Beyond pointing out that she's talented, I'm not going to make any more jokes about her because I have more ethics than this movie. That's it. I'm, I'm sure as hell not going to refer to what she's famous for. Not at all. So, anyway, the apocalypse hits, and he has to try and get across town to be with his girlfriend. But along the way, you're never going to guess this, they encounter all these characters from all these famous movies. Like, mm, there's a, yeah. a running joke of superheroes showing up and getting hit by things. Like meteors and cows. Yeah, by cows, uh, specifically. Oh, man. There's a lot of there's a lot of cow hitting, because, you know, cows and tornadoes and all that. Yeah, because of Twister. Because of Twister. Because we all Twister. remember Twister. Yeah, it was uh, 12 years before this movie. Um, it's, it's still time. Like, as long as they get within the 20-year range, you yeah. know, it's... it's I actually own a copy of the printed script to Twister, and it's sad how that, how bad that original script was because it was like this very serious take on tornado mm. hunting that took its subject very seriously, and they wound up hiring a bunch of, admittedly they hired a bunch of hacks to do the rewrites, but they did rewrite it into something much stronger. The Snorfest writer known as Michael Crichton. Well, yeah, well, Crichton, yeah, he was horrible. His original script is terrible. Yes. I don't recommend you read it because it's inferior in every way to the finished film. Like, they, one of the first groups of people that they encounter, by the way, is the uh, Sex and the City women. But I thought this was really original. They decided to make the uh, Sarah Jessica Parker character played by a man in Bad Drag. Oh, yes. You know, uh, something I was a little disappointed with because why did they just go for... Uh, the horse joke. I know. I know. The horse joke. The, you know, I'm really glad that they went with a looks joke because they could have focused on the fact that she's not particularly known to be a very likable woman behind the scenes. In fact, causing a lot of turmoil on the Sex in the City set and really making things hard for them to get the movie going. You could focus on the fact that her acting talent is questionable at best. But... No, it's it's best to go with the looks joke because that's the one that lands the most points. Yes, absolutely. That's what uh, gets you the most for um, what people will react to, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. They, they even avoided the really good joke that would have been out there about how the movie ran two and a half hours long. But that's okay mm. because they didn't yes. know that when they shot the movie because they were only making fun of the trailer. Right. And the TV right. show. So, you know, there was that. But they run into the Sex and the City women. They run into, probably my favorite joke in the movie, the princess from Enchanted, who they always call an Enchanted Princess. Yes. Yes, it's it's very subtle. It's very subtle of them. I, I found annoying, though, because the actress was trying too hard to imitate Amy Adams in that movie. Like, mm -hmm. trying to get her vocal mannerisms spot on. And it was kind of irritating because she was actually doing a really good job of doing so. And, you know, had they given her, you know, jokes that would have actually said something, it would have been funnier than it already was. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as it stood, they um, made sure to, uh, you know, they just made sure to have her talk black and such. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that makes sense, because when you get right down to it, I really loved that they chose to make fun of Enchanted, because Enchanted was a parody movie. Yeah. I mean, again, it goes with the motif of, you know, parodying uh, movies that are already parodies, which is uh, a good move, because, you know, those those films with actual commentary do need to be taken down a notch. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's so pretentious. I mean, I really had a hard time sitting through Enchanted, because they did such a 
you know, like they really tried to comment on the Disney princess movies, and it felt like they had something to say about them. And instead, we find ourselves here sitting through this movie where, you know, I, I vastly prefer just having the joke be, well, she would have never said that in that movie. Mm-hmm. She would have never said shit or fuck. Yeah, I was glad that, you know, and and, and there's, of course, a where there's a breakdancing scene where she just says some really neat, you know, it's hilarious because she's talking gangster. We also, mm-hmm. of course, find out that she's a deranged, uh, homeless prostitute because that's funny making fun of the homeless yeah. and hookers people who are you know drug addicts man the the lower in society deserve to be laughed at yes yes fuck those guys mm. and oh i don't even want to spoil the great joke that they eventually reveal about her character but it was clever yeah yeah i'm gonna leave that one for the viewers to discover yeah but you know and we i mentioned the juno parody they also have her character doing things that it, it's funny because a pregnant woman wouldn't do those things. Yeah, like breakdance and, um, and you know, have her water break and still be pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and also the character talks exactly like the character talks in the movie. Ooh. Yeah, I, uh, I couldn't... If you, if you swapped in scenes uh, and dialogue from this movie into the regular Juno, I would not be able to tell the difference. I mean, I sat down with the actual screenplay for this movie in pre- for Juno in preparation for this cast. I actually sat down with the Juno script, which I do own a copy of, and thumbed through it, and I couldn't help but notice how, like, in that movie, they only really have her talking like that in a few scenes. It's sprinkled throughout the movie, but a lot of the time the character does say pretty serious stuff, and a lot of those references are in there kind of as a way of breaking the tension of this very uncomfortable situation. Mm-hmm. So you can, like, really appreciate what a smart script that is and all. But no, mm-hmm. it's just better to throw in the random pop culture references. In doing so, they, ma- yes, they mold yes. the character to more reflect their tone of the movie. Yes, yes, which, you know, is not is not so serious. Yeah. You know, I also loved that they have a scene where her baby's foot comes out and attacks. You know, it's a, a parody of uh, You Don't Mess With the Zohan, which I know yeah. we've all seen that movie and we all remember that joke, right? I remember it. Yep. Even though I haven't seen it. No, because that's just it. You remember the trailers, because that's at the end of what this movie was. It was based on the trailers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, they it does come out in the same year that all these movies come out, and it is hard to, like, unless you actually know the people... To see the movies before the premiere, that's how you do it. So, I mean, good move on their part for that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you work with what you've got, and, you know, in doing so, you by hitting the jokes that everybody knows, you ensure the most laughs. Yes, yes. And so, you know, as time goes on, they run into Alvin and the Chipmunks, and they come up with a really great joke for them, which is that they're actually evil and mm-hmm. rabid. Yes, and that they like to devour nuts. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's, that's a clever way to gain their nut jokes. Mm-hmm. And eventually they wind up murdering the Juno character and devouring her flesh. Yeah, uh, her pregnant flesh. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, I wasn't at all. That wasn't at all icky and uncomfortable and misogynistic. Mm-hmm. It was right in line with the joke where she weaponizes her uh, lactating breasts. Ah, yes. Yeah, that wasn't at all. We almost overlooked that great joke. I just, I don't know, I didn't find it at all uncomfortable and icky and 
The Alvin and the Chipmunk scene is perfectly timed. It runs just long enough. Which is what, five minutes of the movie? About five minutes, yes. Of this of this hour and ten minute movie. Yeah, well, you, you gotta maximize everything, and that was their best joke. And, by the way, they look yeah. so realistic. The Alvin and the Chipmunks, they look so realistic. Yeah, the, it was an uh, they were, it was not an animated movie, but they themselves were computer animated, and they made the bold move of making them puppets in this film. Hand puppets, no less. So. Yeah, yeah. It, it really looked great. It, it looked amazing. So, um, oh man, I just, so much good here. There's so much in this movie that I want to bring up. Mm. But. It's so packed. I, we can't hit on every note. We certainly can't. I know. But, uh, but yeah, the second, the second Michael Jackson joke we have to note, um, this would have been 2008, the year before 2009 when um, Jackson tragically passed. Yeah. But they made sure to get one last one in. It's in relation to Speed Racer, where he's in the trunk of the Speed Racer car with uh, the monkey and the kid. So, yes, you, you have... You have the, the, they get a good Michael Jackson Speed Racer joke in, and that's great because, you know, Speed Racer was a huge hit for Warner Brothers and didn't lose them didn't lose them any money. So, finally, these characters make it to the museum where we get a Night at the Museum joke. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I, I did not see that coming a hundred miles away. Like, she worked in a museum, and the film came out a couple years earlier, so, you know. I mean, I, I wouldn't have put that together myself. <laughs> I know, I was surprised by that, too. But they, 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 they do a Night at the Museum joke. And the joke here is that they have such exhibits as um, Beowulf, who is... The joke about him, I thought, was a really bold one. First of all, they kind of lost me a little bit when they started to like bring up things that the character had done and said in the movie that were pretty stupid. But then they redeemed themselves with a gay joke. Yeah, because he's naked. That's the joke, is that he's a naked, muscular guy, so of course he's gay. Yeah, because nudity has everything to do with sex and nothing to do with um, the fact that uh, clothes hinder. Yeah. Yeah, they actually explain yes. that in the movie, but no, it's it's easier to go for a gay joke. And they go for easy jokes mm -hmm. like that he likes musicals, and he runs a kitschy antique store. Which is, by the way, I should note, hilarious to me because I live in arkansas where most of the antique stores and flea markets seem to be run by older women ah yes yeah yes. so you see that joke's not even accurate and you know that makes sense because this movie was shot a good distance from arkansas in the town of shreveport mm -hmm. louisiana which is about a uh, having driven there is about a four-hour drive from little rock it's it's not that far at all yeah yeah well anyway you still see my point you know it, it's still yeah yeah yeah. and by the way that is what i that is one thing that i have to admit i found kind of frustrating and not at all in any way a joke that was kind of funny to me was seeing that this is a movie mm -hmm. about the apocalypse hitting shreveport yes yes so you've got this museum scene and then we have a special effects triumph kung fu panda which was as you remember an animated film uh from that year and they they made a giant kung fu panda costume, which I swear looks almost exactly mm -hmm. like the movie. Of course, uh, they never bother to call the character by his name. They just call him Kung Fu Panda, because that was the character's name, right? I mean, I've seen both... That of, was exactly the character's name. I mean, name. I've seen both of the movies, but and know that it wasn't, but still. 
And uh, but yeah, they get they get him exactly right uh, down to the right down to the beady eyes, the lips, and the huge teeth. Yeah, uh, which always which are always showing. Mm-hmm. They're always showing. This character is completely comfortable to look at. Hmm. Yes. Yes. It reminds me of uh, DreamWorks anime. DreamWorks cute characters. Uh, this was also a very cute yes, character. Yes. Yes. Um. And then, of course, the movie builds to the joke that it's really been trying to build to all along, which is that this is not only a Cloverfield parody, but a giant parody of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. When they save the girlfriend from the statue that she's pinned under, uh, she reveals that she has had the skull all along. She pulls it out of her vagina. Oh, man, that's great. That's great. As you know, Mm. a woman's vagina is... uh, a place that they store things. Cavernous. That's that's cavernous. Yes, yes. They store things in there. That's that's how that works. Yes, of course. They store babies in there. They can store everything in there. That's completely how that works. And that's not in any way like a disgusting and crude and offensive joke. No, no, no. So yeah. So I thought you. I I thought that was a great joke, and I, and I really enjoyed that joke. Then, of course. This leads to the Indiana Jones bit where we see Indiana Jones, but ho ho! Oh, it's the midget from from date movie, and also Bad Santa, back again. Yes, and it turns out that he's actually the main character's father because of some reason regarding the plot. I don't really know. Uh, it's a clever twist because um, India, the people who made Indiana Jones also made Star Wars, so that was a nice. Subtle reference Even to more that. closer than that. I know that they hadn't seen Indiana Jones at the time, but I think they were going on the assumption that Shia LaBeouf's character would be revealed to be Indiana Jones' son. A plot yeah, twist yes. that would in no way infuriate fans. Uh, by the way, I want to note, fans really hated Indiana Jones 4, and I am completely with them. This movie was a disgrace yes. and destroyed the memories of of movies that were intended to be homages to Saturday afternoon serials and thus deserve to be taken seriously as art. Yes. You know, sure, it might have worked just fine as a uh, dumb toss-off Saturday afternoon type movie, which I think that was their entire intention. But no, no, Mm -hmm. I'm mad at this movie because it didn't live up to the memories of movies that I've carried with me for years. Mm Mm-mm. No, not at all. Terrible. There's very little action in it. And, uh, you know, this, uh, it sucked. But as I said, they they, they were trying to uh, go for assuming that that would be the plot twist, which of course it was. It was completely of course it was, obvious. Yes. They introduced Indiana Jones' most well-received love interest in the entire film. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, they stopped the, they stopped the apocalypse, and the movie ends with uh, two last references to things that have not dated at all. First is a reference to the love guru. Yeah, yeah. Whom uh, marries them. Yeah. And I just want to note, by the way, um, the co-writer of that with Mike Myers is from the town that I live in. And at the time that the movie came out, there were stories circulating about... Because I knew his brother tangentially. And there were stories circulating about how miserable the guy was that his name was on that movie. Hmm. That's not a joke. That really happened. That really happened. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Damn. So, and so of course, again, the love guru. Everybody loved the love guru. That whole pickle thing. I mean, you know, that was funny. And th- they did something clever with him because the character's name in the movie was Guru Pitka, 
they change it here to Guru Shitka. Get it? Yeah, cause shit. Shit jokes are never not funny. They're never not funny. And then all of this leads to a musical number, because they really like musical numbers. Yes, it's from it's from Sarah Silverman's best work to date, uh, I'm Fucking Matt Damon. Yeah, except they change it to dating for the uh, PG-13 cut, but it's fixed for the unrated cut. Yeah I, yeah, I saw the unrated cut, and you saw the PG-13 cut. Yes, we should note that. We saw different cuts of the film, just to get varying perspectives on the film. Mm-hmm. Wake up, you drunk motherfucker! Get your punk ass up, fly down there, and fix that shit. Asshole! Don't cop an attitude, slut. Apply a head-on directly to your goddamn forehead. He must be some piece of pussy. Say something, you stuck-up bitch! Look, you little white trash piece of shit. Head on, motherfucker. Apply directly to your motherfucking forehead. I could have without that. Let's get to the museum. And I, in fact, the cut that I saw even came in the superior format. Full screen. Mmm, yes. Mmm, so it looked great. You know, who wants to see your whole frame? Nope, I don't. Given that this film's probably shot for TV, come on. Um, <laughs> but... This sequence, oh man, that that sequence had me rolling in the aisles. Unfortunately, it didn't have audiences doing the same. Yeah, it kind of flopped. This was this was a moment. The movie was a big flop for the studio. Uh, Lionsgate released it after they'd had 20th Century Fox um, being their benefactors in the past. So yeah. what do you do after that? Well, you go home to 20th Century Fox, which is what happened next. 20th Century Fox did release their next film, Vampire Suck, which we could have seen and we didn't. We need to double back and see it. But that was a film that was making fun of Twilight, which is... I, I gotta give them credit, that's a difficult target to mock. That's a very hard film to mock. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's... There's almost... It's very tight. There's nothing there to... No, I know. I mean, and the film came out in 2010, I think. At which point Twilight had already been out for two years and three of the movies had been released. So it didn't feel like the joke had been beaten into the ground enough. So they were able to tr tread some really fresh new material. Also, for some puzzling reason, they chose kind of a mishmash of all the plots and blended them together. I don't get it. But, yeah, that film would prove to be the finale for Seltzer and Friedberg working at the studios. Uh, to date, their next two films would be released um, independently, and I don't think that their third film will get a major studio as a backer. Probably not, no. And that's 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 a crying shame, because their next film is going to make fun of uh, the Fast and Furious films, which, uh, man, you're going to need a huge budget to work with, and I know that they don't have that to make fun of those, so anyway. No, no. But, yeah, this this brings us to their most recent film, uh, the Starving Games, a very clever wordplay on The Hunger Games. I really have to begin by taking issue with this movie, because with this movie they tried to do a limit, a more limited focus this time than on their other films. 
Whereas their other films just kind of had a thin plot that loosely mocked something, this one they actually did try to pay attention to the Hunger Games, and that didn't make any sense to me. No, uh, why not just do it off the trailers? The trailers didn't show the games. They didn't need to either. I'm here in District 12 where everyone is going nuts. It's the ultimate underdog Cinderella story, and the po' folks here is eating it up. Buying up merchandise with any and everything that has to do with Catmiss or the starving games. So they, 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 they throw in some unique and... Man, this movie... We've praised their timeliness before, but this movie throws in some really timely gags, like references to Fruit Ninja, T-shirts, LMFAO, Mugs, Psy, Totes, Can't Forget Angry Birds, Can't Forget Angry Birds, Bobbleheads, Can't Forget the uh, Avatar and Sherlock Holmes parodies that made, you know, the Sherlock Holmes parody makes complete sense and is like underlined as this is a Sherlock Holmes parody, and you don't in any way have to have seen that film recently to understand the joke. Yeah, absolutely. The it, It's really a bold film because, you know, they really make sure that these are all the things that are right on top of your lips. I mean, this is stuff that we're all talking about. Yeah, like the um, the deleted Avatar sex scene with, with the hair braids. Um, people people remember that. That actually was in the movie. Like the, like the actual Maybe sex the actual scene was, sex but the thing was, with the... the the implications were actually in the movie. I, it's enough in there to count. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I really, you know, the they, they, they do a really good job. Here's the thing. They land a number of really good jokes on the Hunger Games. This is bullshit. The Capitol can't just treat us like pawns. Yeah! Our life is our own. And they can't just make us kill each other for their own sick amusement. Yeah! We take a half pound of grade A beef. We top it with cheese. Then we top it with chili. And a hot dog. And ribs. And smother it with low-cal ranch dressing. Hey, uh... Are we still gonna riot? Maybe later. I'm too hungry now. Then we add barbecue sauce. Like, out and out saying what it probably was stolen from. Man, isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. Like referencing the <laughs> Running Man and uh, Battle Royale, that's hilarious. And that hasn't been that joke hasn't been made by internet commentator after internet commentator after internet commentator. And we'll ignore the fact that that's a trope that goes back predating the most dangerous game, the idea yes, of people yes. hunting for sport for other people's entertainment. We're gonna ignore that. That's a common trope in literature. Mm -hmm. No, those are the two things. Those are the only two things that ever did it before this movie, before the Hunger Games books. And of course, the the movie, the the movie, the Hunger Games, uh, in its commentary and its undertext, uh, is actually very subtle. This brings all those to the forefront mm -hmm. because you know everyone would have missed that. You know, like the the commentary on the reality TV culture, uh, the commentary on you know, the people in the Capitol. Yeah, like, they out and out say how their style got started, crediting Lady Gaga and uh, Nicki Minaj for it. See, that's funny, because those are people. Yeah, yeah, those are people with actual, real uh, fashion tastes uh, to their personality, and... And we'll ignore the fact that Lady Gaga is actually a performance artist who hasn't mm -hmm. even been subtle about the fact that this is all a giant performance art project for her, 
and that if you actually see the uh, actual woman sit down, just stripped down to just a piano, she's actually a phenomenal singer and performer who does great strip down. Um, you know, we'll ignore the fact that for her, this is all a deliberate art project. No, the movie just wants to make fun of her because she's stupid. Yeah, 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 totally. And of course, um, what Seltzer Freeberg movie would be complete without the gay jokes mm -hmm. and the racist jokes? And boy, do they make sure to get those in there. Um, oh, yeah. They start off with the joke that Pete is a wimp, which, while I've read mm -hmm. a number of great commentaries on how he does fill the feminine role in things, hey, we just mentioned that on the last cast, didn't we? Hey, that's true. You know. We did. No, 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 no. Whereas we could actually deal with the fact that that's actually a deliberate study of the gender tropes and that that's something that was deliberately built into the character. No. No, let's mock, nah. let's mock him for being a wimp. Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, he also uh, wants to have sex with uh, another male character for some reason. It's to build an alliance. Yeah, this movie, uh, this movie does a great job of like trying to follow the plot of the Hunger Games also, but except to that degree, in which case it derails trying to follow the plot of the Hunger Games so that it can get in a gay joke. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, they they keep trailing it too mm -hmm. uh, until they, they shoot the gay guy because... Yeah. Gotta do that. Pubescent boy with raging hormones. Disarm with natural assets. Allowed a motorboat. And one of the commentators uh, on the games uh, is a black guy who is very into violence and um, being all gangster and shit. And he wears a diaper. And he wears a diaper. And this movie yes, really loves yes. excrement. There's a lot of excrement jokes in this movie. Was this movie given a rating? I don't know if it was because it only played in four theaters. Y'all, this movie was too good for theaters. And apparently it was too good for Netflix since it only spent about a week or so on there. We had to redbox this, y'all. Yeah, we had to redbox it. We just barely got in. You know, the film, as I said, it's largely the structure of The Hunger Games aside from that. They abandoned the gay joke so that they can, in favor of doing a graphic sex scene joke where it's, uh, the joke is that it's censored, but it's pretty obvious that something really disgusting is going on. And that's funny! Because human sexuality is funny. They have pictures of uh, a president's snowballs. That's what they call them <laughs> in the... Uh... Balls. <laughs> Balls. I am directly below. Enemy scrotum. They could never not have enough wordplay on balls. But yeah, they have a picture of President Snowballs over at the Black Bars. Who's played by Dietrich Bader. Dietrich Bader. Dietrich Bader is in this movie. He's the only one I recognize, but it doesn't mean that the rest of these uh, uh, talented young actors won't uh, flourish in their future careers. But yeah, I mean, as I said, the the movie goes deals with this stuff. It it deals with it well. Mm-hmm. It um, you know it, it it makes its jokes well. I'll say this: this time they were clearly working with uh, a limited budget, but they worked around it great. Yeah, yeah, um, by using. You know, not at all photoshopped things. No, and, um, and and they definitely weren't shooting in any local parks. Nope. 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 Uh, not at all. And, uh... Oh, yes, yes. And, uh... The character's name is... Cantmus 
ever shot. Mm-hmm. That's funny. And they, yes, and they make fun of Gail's play on her name, which for anybody who has was not familiar with the Hunger Games, her name is Katniss Everdeen, and Gail calls her Catnip, mm-hmm. which is a joke because that's a plant, and plant names are pretty common in the book. Right, right, exactly. And they're common in that district because of that's the kind of district that it is. Right. And they, uh, in this, he calls her Cat Mix. Which, I, that's a joke of some kind. I don't know what, but that is a joke. Mm-hmm. It's a joke, yes. It's a thing, it's a thing that happens in the movie, so of course it's a thing that happens in this movie. They give the Starving Games a halftime. Which leads to a joke that... Leads to a joke that leads to a joke that leads to a joke that leads to... I'm sorry, I gotta restart my brain for a moment, because even thinking about that joke... <clears throat> it's not in any way one of the most misogynistic, sexist, grotesque jokes that suggests that these men are afraid of women. I like it, Siri, but it's not... It's not popping. Don't worry, more about you. More filthy and gratuitous DNA coming up. No. It's not. It's not. The, also, the movie includes a clip show of itself during this sequence. It does. It does. And the movie doesn't even hit 75 minutes. And it has a clip show of itself. It's great. This didn't at all feel yes. like a waste of my time on a beautiful spring day that I could have been sitting doing something else. No, this felt like a good right. use of my time. And, of course, uh, when they get when they cut back from the halftime, they resume right where they left off, where the guy was about to knife her. That could have been six minutes cut from the film, yeah. but they you know, they kept it in because comedy. Comedy! Comedy! Timing! So you have this really clever, bold parody, and at the end, they do the bit with the uh, rule change, and then the rule change back. Mm-hmm. And I, ne- I was shocked, because... There's the bit where the uh, PETA parody is going on about what's describing what's actually going to happen in the film. And I was floored when she shot him with an arrow. Oh, yes. At the end where he pulls out the berries and says, hey, we can defy the capital. And then she shoots him and then says, ah, it's business. (laughs) Yeah, by the way, I was glad to see the words bitch (laughs) and whore got used in this movie. As they seem mm, to show wouldn't up in complete without all of their movies, because those aren't terms that are like loaded and incredibly offensive and just mm-hmm. offensive. No, 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 no. You can get away with using those terms interchangeably. They're like retail doggy murder racial slurs. Yes, direct hit. Let me shoot him again. Hi, she's a gelata. Oh, that felt good. Yes, absolutely. And the film wouldn't have been complete without them. You know what else this film really wouldn't have been complete without? Yeah. An Avengers parody. Oh, yes. After everything is said and done, uh, the Avengers show up and they make fun of Hawkeye because uh, he's not going to get his own movie. Yeah, which, you know, look, I... Speaking as somebody who's only, like, read the comics for years and knows who Hawkeye is and is actually very pleased with the fact that his current solo series is one of the best-reviewed titles on the market and is actually selling really well you know mm-hmm. I, yeah let's make fun of Hawkeye because he's useless with the arrows by the way Saturday Night Live also did this joke and they actually had Jimmy Renner on yes and, and I'm not gonna say that you sh- I'm not gonna say that you should look up their parody which 
actually made some genuine points about the movie, actually commented on the film. No, 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 I'm not going to say you should do that instead. Um, I'm also not going to point out the fact that in the actual movie, they establish why Hawkeye's a valuable aide, and they actually even make the joke about him, they actually even deal with what happens when he runs out of arrows, namely that he goes and gets them and reuses them. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to point out that all of that was already dealt with in the original source material, or the also available Saturday Night Live parody, no. And that's another thing, this movie, nope. they're smart with this movie, because when you can't make up jokes of your own, STEAL THEM FROM OTHER PEOPLE! That's what you do! Yeah, and that's something that runs throughout all these movies. Basically, just repeat the original joke, add something gross, maybe add some curse words, and you're done. Or sometimes, what the hell, take the original joke and do it worse. Right. Like the middle claw joke, which I have seen uh, date or epic movies parody of the middle claw joke from X-Men, which, you know, was done in the first movie and was funny in that movie, and was also completely in character with Wolverine. You know, I liked their version better, where... The guy has to awkwardly bend his claws back to dr- to give the middle claw. That was funnier. That was funnier. Because the X-Men joke is like, quick, bam. I don't know. I don't know why the original film didn't do that. Well, because they did their joke quick, in, out, and it was just thrown in. They, 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 at one point, they out and out steal a sequence from The Simpsons. Not just at one point, but several points. Yeah, multiple points, yes. But one in particular, they take a joke... And whereas The Simpsons did it in, like, 25 seconds tops, this one does it for a minute. Yep. Whereas, like, The Simpsons joke about a uh, breakfast burger that actually seems like something that somebody would eat, they just keep doing it and extending it. And they call it the Triple Bypass Burger, which, again, a direct thing from The Simpsons. Yep. Is well used there, and it's even better used here. I don't know. I also have to make sure that we talk about all the Apple jokes. They seem to think that Apple is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yes, and by Apple, we, of course, mean Apple computers. Uh, everybody uses an iPad. They have a, uh, they have a jive-talking Siri. They have a jive-talking Siri, that's, that's right. Multiple times, uh, they have the Seneca Crane stand-in, the game maker... Uh, they have him shave different logos into his beard. <laughs> he did. He didn't do anything like <laughs> that. They didn't actually reference any real brands in the actual movie. I mean, don't be wrong. No. The original guy's facial hair was pretty stupid, but that was to comment on the fact that these people were had such terrible taste because they were living in such excess that nobody could tell them what was good and what was, was bad, and it was a commentary on the flagrance and just out-and-out extravagance of that society oh god forget that joke let's talk about how stupid his hair is yeah because damn and also uh the capital residents they all sit around in a movie theater watching this yes 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 they do and they keep saying get back to the violence yeah you know let's again let's underline the subtext here grab that subtext to put it up front because it needs to be up front and loud Ah, these really are great movies. Ah, yes. I'll be watching them for years on end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this is in no way the last one of these movies and that I'm never going to go back to these movies ever again after this cast and that I'm... And in no way do I even regret the idea of deciding to have done this podcast, you know? Yes, I don't feel yes. like this was a stupid idea at a moment in my life when I really would have rather been doing something else. Nope! 
Uh, yeah, so, um, <laughs> I think that's a good point to end, actually. <laughs> I think so, too. Well, look, you know all of our crap. You know where you can find us. Have fun! I'll let you later! Bye! Bye.